Welcome to this week's Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie, and today John will be looking at the Englewood Review of Books. And It seems like a couple of years ago, maybe three, we looked at it before. Yes, Dan, I think we have talked about this publication and the community it represents a couple times. I'm revisiting again because when we talk about this particular magazine, we're not just talking about one publication, but we're talking about a certain kind of enterprise that also includes publications as different as Books and Culture and Image, which is just Mm -hmm. celebrating its 25th anniversary, and First Things, and a number of other publications that come from different streams of the faith. Some are Catholic, some are, like ours, based in the evangelical community. Most of them cross those borders. They include Mm -hmm. people wherever their base is. They include people from uh, other streams of the Christian tradition and sometimes outside that altogether. But they're all based on the notion that there's not a conflict between our faith, our convictions as believers, and a robust engagement with the world and everything that's going on around us. Where's the Inglewood Review of Books situated on the it, spectrum? It's a very unusual enterprise. I've told you before how much I admire the fact that it's actually based in a church, the Inglewood Christian Church in Indianapolis. And what a wonderful example it seems to me for a church to be doing something like this. And you'll see on the cover, this is the most recent issue, Volume 4, Number 2. Beneath the title, Englewood Review of Books, it says, Community, Mission, Imagination, Reconciliation. And that gives you some sense of the particular emphases, because no publication can do everything. (laughs) I just want to highlight several pieces in this issue to give a sense of why I think what they're doing is important. I would urge our listeners to consider subscribing. Just like no publication can do anything, no person can subscribe to all these different magazines at the same time. You can't afford it, and you also just don't have the time. Someone like me, I'm in a kind of freakish position, which I'm very grateful for, that I get to see all these publications because it's my job, but also it's my job because... I just love to do that. (laughs) You have to choose. You can't do everything. You can't read everything. You can't subscribe to everything. But this is definitely a publication that's worth considering and thinking about. And without the support of those of us in the community, none of these publications can exist. It's very simple. (laughs) Well, let's dive in. I wanted to note an interview with the theologian and biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann, Mm -hmm. who is someone I greatly admire, and the interview is conducted by John Pattison, who, with the editor of the Englewood Review of Books, C. Christopher Smith, wrote that book that we highlighted a couple months ago called Slow Church, which is coming out in June from InterVarsity Press. I'll just read one exchange here. In the book... Pattison says, you say that the fourth commandment serves as a bridge between the first three commandments, which are focused on God, and the last six commandments, which are focused on the community of neighbors. 
and Brueggemann says, I learned this from Patrick Miller. He has argued that the fourth commandment has as its premise that God rested on the seventh day, so it refers back to the God of the first three commandments. The Sabbath command is that you shall rest and your neighbor shall rest. And obviously the last six commandments are all about the neighbor. So on the Sabbath, what the God of the first three commandments and the neighbor of the last six have in common is that they are both at rest. Neither of them are driven by excessive desire. Miller has made a very shrewd interpretation. I'm reminded of a phrase in the book of Colossians which says, Do not practice greed, which is idolatry. Greed is sometimes translated as covetousness. So you've got in this verse the first two commandments, which are about idolatry, and then the tenth commandment about greed. It forms a nice envelope. Sabbath is a break with our idolatries and a break with our greed. It catches the main accents of all the Ten Commandments. Wow, that really is isn't helpful. That, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. The whole interview is terrific. Next, an interview with Lucy Shaw called What We're Meant to See, and it's conducted by the poet Tanya Runyon, whose work has appeared in Books and Culture. And, of course, we've had many poems by Lucy in the pages of Books and Culture, and I have another wonderful poem ready to go. Wendy and I have had the opportunity to get to know Lucy and her husband, John Hoyt, over the years through the Chrysostom Society and admire and enjoy her so much. And at a time when lots of writers are either dead or burned out, (laughs) she's still doing excellent work. She has a new book of poems out called Scape. She also has a memoir of sorts, which is delightful. And this interview, I think, will be inspiring, especially to a lot of young writers, to hear from someone who has been in it for the long haul. Another excellent piece in this issue has a wonderful title, A Whiff of the Divine, And it's a review of a new book of poems by Scott Cairns, Mm -hmm. Idiot Psalms. The reviewer is someone I don't know. Her name is Mary Ann McKibben Dana, and she's a pastor in Virginia. This new book of Scott's, I actually mention it in my letter from the editor in the new issue of Books and Culture. It's both a wonderful book of poems and also it's just a beautiful book. Paraclete pressed it. It's a very slim book with an absolutely gorgeous cover. This is a terrific review. I should also mention in that letter from the editor in May-June, I talk about a CD that's called Parable that has Scott reading a number of poems, and there's Mm. musical interludes along with that. And he's one of those poets who is just a superb reader of his work. So if you hear him read even just one time, whenever you read his poems thereafter, you have the cadence in your head. Okay. I'll read a little bit from one of the poems that she quotes from in the review. If any of this frank, confusing clatter has distracted you from prayer, the odds are good the whole endeavor is already somewhat compromised. Take heart. These ups and downs will not abate, so you will surely find in time a practice less dependent on good fortune. (laughs) (laughs) That's encouraging. It is encouraging. (laughs) To conclude, right near the end, there's a review by Tracy Taylor called No More Servant Leaders, which is a provocative title. 
It's a review of mm-hmm. a book by Brian Edgar called God is Friendship, A Theology of Spirituality, Community, and Society. The provocative title is explained at the very beginning. Taylor starts out saying, I believe that after reading Brian Edgar's God is Friendship, many of us will no longer be comfortable with the language of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm aware of the words of Jesus in Mark 10:45 that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul's words in Philippians 2, that we are to have the same attitude of Christ who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. However, Brian Edgar critically reminds us that there is more that Jesus told his disciples that they were no longer servants but friends. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. There's more. I haven't by any means exhausted. And you notice it's a slim publication. It's wonderful to have by your bed, read one article, pick up another one in a day or two. You more than get your money's worth. It's an inspiration to me, and I think many of our listeners would find the same. Fantastic. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dan.